Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bright Lights, uh, our podcast where we focus on achievers and achievements, where we don't make excuses for not achieving, where we believe you could be anything you want to be. If you set some goals, uh, you work hard, uh, you have good habits, and you're just tenacious, we have something here that we call parts of life. The P is for perspective. The A is for attitude. The R is for how you react to things that happen to you in life. And the T is for tenacity. And finally, and the most important thing, I think, uh, the S is for spirituality and having some type of moral compass in your life. And so I think if you put those four things together, it's hard not to achieve now. You know, I know a little bit about science and statistics and math and stuff. Uh, there's no such thing as 100% guarantee in life. So there's a uh, chance that something, uh, life could throw you a curveball or something. But that's where the tenacity come in. And uh, before we get started, a couple of things. Uh, go to uh, LaceyJohnson.com, my website. Uh, hit the subscribe button and hit the bell for notification. Uh, click the like button. Uh, visit our online store, and if you think we're worthy, uh, donate to the cause. Uh, it's another beautiful day in the hood, as usual. Our guest tonight is Mr. Marklin Johnson, and he's done quite a bit of things here. Mr. Marklin, he's an entrepreneur. Uh, he's a comedian. Uh, he's just, uh, and, and we'll get into it, he's a host, public speaker, and uh, an author. That's the main thing we're going to talk about. And we're going to get to uh, Marklin shortly. And we're going to talk about his book. Uh, and we're going to have some homework for you. In fact, the theme tonight is just books and knowledge, I guess. Uh, so uh, once again, uh, normally what I do is take about two or three little items and connect them together. Uh, but I'm going to start off tonight with something I'm not connecting to, to, to the other two or three things I'm talking about. And I guess uh, we'll look at it kind of like a dangling participle, as they say in English. And that means that it's not connected to uh, the rest of what I'm going to say. And it's something that's uh, a lot of people would consider small, but it's a big thing to me. So basically, uh, I saw an article out on Yahoo.com. And... The article referred to God with a small g. And for some reason, I hadn't seen that in a while. In fact, I hadn't seen that till, since my high school classes when we were studying uh, Greek uh, tragedies and uh, Latin literatures and things. And we were talking about uh, Roman, uh, we were talking about Roman and Greek gods. And by the way, uh, if you ever want to help distinguish between the Roman gods, gods versus the Greek gods, just remember the planets are named after the Roman gods. Gods, uh, Neptune is the king of the gods uh, in, in the Roman language. Uh, Mars is the messenger, I think. I'm screwing up here. Mercury is the speedster. And go out, Venus is the god of beauty on the Roman side. And I think on the Greek side is Zeus, uh, Apollo, Aphrodite. Uh, but once again, it just struck me that now we're writing God in small letters and is that going to become a convention? And you must understand that uh, I just try to be respectful of titles and things. And I never write Christmas with an X. I always write it all out 
priceless. Uh, if there are professionals out there who are ministers, I call them reverend or bishop or whatever to, to uh, recognize and respect their titles. If there's doctors out there, whether PhDs or medical doctors, I always try to uh, give them the respect that they deserve. And so I just have, it just almost seemed disrespectful respectful, uh, to God, especially those people. And the G God is normally for the uh, religions that have only one God, uh, Christianity, uh, Islam, uh, and those type of uh, Buddha, Buddhism. Uh, and so to see God referred to in a small case, I don't know, it just struck me as kind of odd, but I think that's the direction uh, that this country is going in. And I suggest someone read uh, President Lincoln's remark during the Civil War of uh, how we would not be destroyed from without, but we will slowly disintegrate from within. And I'm wondering whether or not uh, we should be thinking about his words. Now, uh, we're going to hurry up and get to our guest here. Last week, I think I talked about privileges, and I thought I had all the great privileges that anybody could ask for. Uh, I'm not worried about other people's privileges. I hear people talk about what other people's privileges are. I don't, I don't worry about the other people's privileges. I got enough privileges as my own. I'm not jealous of anybody else's privileges because I just feel like I'm just as privileged as anybody. And one of the privileges I met was my great-grandfather. He was a businessman. And, you know, the funny thing about knowledge and knowing stuff, the more I know the more I realize how much I do not know. And I'm saying that because there's a couple of people I'm going to introduce to you tonight uh, uh, before we bring on our guests. And once again, our theme is going to be books and reading and things. Uh, but I came across a couple of uh, new uh, people that I wasn't familiar with this uh, sometime this week, just, just normal reading type things. And just doing some research. One was uh, Eric Thomas. Uh, he's a motivational speaker, and I just heard him speaking to uh, high school children in the inner city, and his message, his attitude, uh, the way he dealt with our children. Uh, someone was kind of acting up, and uh, he uh, put that deep bass in his voice, and he looked him straight in the face and told him to basically shut up, be quiet, and sit down and respect him. Which, by the way, a lot of times when I go into our schools, uh, some of our educators are trying to be so nice and kind. And, and you should always be nice and kind. But some of our children, let's face it, and those some of you know what I'm talking about, they need to hear some bass in, your, in their voice. They don't, in fact, they only respect people with bass in their voices and who look at them very sternly and, 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 and with a stiff back and they aren't scared of them. And that's the type of attitude that he brought to the high school audience uh, that he was talking to. And I really admired that, but more important than that, his message. And we'll end with that uh, shortly. Uh, but the other item I wanted to talk about was uh, I came across a book by William Johnson. And William Johnson was a freed slave from my hometown of Natchez, and y'all know how much I care about Natchez and how much I love my hometown and how much I love the South and how proud I am of the South. I know East Coasters and West Coasters and Ivy Leaguers and Silicon Valley think people in the Midwest and 
down south are kind of backwards, and I let them think that. In fact, we laugh at them when they think that, when they think they're hot shots. But here's the thing. Uh, William Johnson, uh, free slave, he wrote a, he kept a diary of his life, and you'd be amazed at what's in there. Once again, William Johnson, and it's called, I think, the diary of a, uh, of a free black businessman, I think, something like that, William Johnson. And he, he talks about his experience, and what's amazing to me, one of the things that's amazing is his business acumen and his business, uh, and, he, and he has records of it and transactions and things. Uh, bottom line is that when he died and he was killed by his neighbor, I probably should probably ruin the ending there, but no, that's not the ending actually. He was killed by his neighbor over some type of land dispute or something like that, who was also supposedly a free black slave. But this was, the diary was from, uh, 1938 to 1944, and they say when he passed away, uh, his assets were worth twenty to thirty thousand dollars. Thirty thousand dollars, and if you translate that in today's dollars, because based on my research, uh, every dollar from the 1930s and 1844 uh, is worth three thousand dollars today. So he died with an estate of anywhere between 60 and 90 million dollars based on my calculation uh black slave during pre-civil war down south natchez mississippi and it's documented uh and he had built up a business worth tens of millions of dollars now the question i have for uh, is that what happened to uh, his asset did someone steal like someone like they stole someone grand great grandfather's asset so i'm gonna look that up but so go out that's your homework go out and look up william johnson freed slave his his uh diary uh of his activities from 1938 to nine i'm sorry 1838 to 1844 once again 1838 to 1844 now here's here's really uh the kicker for me uh william johnson slaves among his assets were slaves uh black man free black man down in deep south owned slaves that's the first time i'd heard of that now i'd heard about native americans owning slaves and once again if you really do some research on slavery uh you'll probably come away with a totally different at least an adjusted perspective on the whole issue of slavery but go out and read his 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 diary uh, see how he accumulated assets. And once again, first time I've ever learned that there were actually black people in America who owned slaves. And like I said, I learned that about Native Americans. Now, we'll end this and bring on our guests. Uh, I mentioned Eric Thomas, who's the uh, speaker, and he spoke to these inner city students. Uh, his thing are, is that we are where we are because of the way we think and that's one of my messages it's not the world around us it's not the people it's not the obstacles in our lives people who succeed think a certain way and uh i want you to uh, keep that in mind especially our young people and as i talk to our guests tonight and the, the previous achievers you will find out the way achievers think and overcome things. They don't think like a lot of us. Uh, so uh, that's my intro for the night. 
probably went on too long as always, but uh, I'm looking forward to our guest today. I'm very excited to have him, uh, Mr. Marklin Johnson. Uh, welcome to Bright Lights, Markham. Hey, are you going to say my name the wrong way again? Marklin. Marklin. There you go. There you what, did go. I say, what did I say, say it before? Call me Markham real quick. <laughs> uh, Come on. I, I, got a, I got a friend named Markham. <laughs> I'm just saying, our last names are Johnson. We're supposed to keep this in, in, yeah, in yeah, that's, that's, respect. That's well, hey, look. You have to, well, I know you are, and I'm messing with you back. Uh, I've never met a Marklin before. so it's it, And it, you'll it, never meet another one. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, something tell me that might be a Marklin Jr. out there one of these days. Oh, no. No, 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 no. no. no, no. Okay, we, okay. We, we make sure to take care of that the proper way. How y'all doing? Thank you so much for having me <laughs> on here. I uh, appreciate uh, you. I'm more than happy to have you on. So let's uh, dive into this. Uh, first of all, before we get started, and I said to someone in my promo, I'm beating a dead horse here, but uh, give me, as a comic and we're going to talk about a comic versus comedian later. As a comic, uh, give me your take on the Will Smith-Chris Rock episode that we witnessed a little while ago. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, Chris Rock made a joke. It was actually a poorly executed joke, but that's what he does. Um, when you sit in the front row at the Oscars, you know that's what people do. Unfortunately, Will Smith has been um, basically slowly unraveling before our eyes over the last two years. There's a history between Chris Rock and Will Smith. And unfortunately, because of the situation of Will Smith in, he thought that this was his time to set forth straight to let his woman know that he wasn't going to let any man just talk to her any type of way. Now, with that being said, he also set a precedent that now a lot of people feel that they could just interrupt the comic that's doing their job anytime they feel because they don't like the joke. The problem is, is that people don't understand one of the hardest jobs in the world to do is to be a comic. People say it's not. People say, oh, being, being a police officer is tougher, being a firefighter. The reason why being a comic is harder is we have to make you laugh on command. We have to train ourselves to make you laugh. And it might make us laugh. It might make other comics laugh, but it might not make you laugh. Does that mean it's grounds for me to get punched? One of my favorite comics in the world who unfortunately passed recently, Mr. Personality, Don Rickles. If I said his name wrong, Don Rickles insulted everyone. Black, white, Jewish, Asian, big, tall, small. He didn't care. We have lost the ability to laugh at ourselves over our situations. It's what the theory that's going on right now with a lot of people saying that's right. Will Smith stood up for his man. And for those of you out there that might not understand it, I say this all the time. Will Smith in Hollywood sadly represents black people as a whole. And in the black community, when you are a prominent black figure, you represent the black community as a whole. So when you act out like that amongst billions, not just American entertainment, billions, you make us look like we're uncivilized and we don't know how to act because he could have done the right thing and said, I'll talk to him after the end of the show. Yeah. And uh, this kind of like it's a culmination of a trend because I know there's a lot of comics out there uh, have stop doing college campuses because so many sensitive people out there, so many sensitive woke people out there uh, that they see disruption and violence 
as a response to something you say that they don't like. And, well, uh, go ahead. Uh-huh. Not to interrupt you. I'm sorry. The biggest no, problem, the biggest problem that we have in, and here's the thing that's crazy. Here's the thing that's actually really great, and I think people don't really understand this. Being woke is not the problem. The problem is that people are too woke. They drank way too much darn coffee and need to slow it down a little bit. Take some decaf. You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, I tell people all the time, I've got the presence of somebody six foot nine, but I got the stature of a five foot seven, 50 pound overweight black man. But my jokes are my jokes. I can laugh at myself. People have stopped learning. People don't know how to laugh at themselves because we're teaching people to take everything about them serious. Life ain't that serious. You can joke about anything. I see you wearing a suit right there. You know, what are you going? You look, what do they say? Medea says you look casket sharp. You know? <laughs> right. I, I, I'm, I'm going to send you a virtual slap through the. <laughs> You, you keep that up. <laughs> but you know, I got you. Uh-huh. It, it's it's on it. And what it is is, and I say it's different. When I was younger, we used to make fun of the kid that ate the glue. You know what I mean? Right. What's right. wrong with this kid? He's eating the glue. Mm-hmm. Now it's, oh my God, he's going through trauma. We really need to understand why he feels that he needs to eat the glue. How about he's just acting a little bit off the wall crazy and ate the glue? Mm-hmm. You know, come on, people. We getting back up a little bit. Jokes are jokes. We are there to laugh. And slowly what they're doing is they're cornering the comics into what they can talk about, which is funny. But the best truth of, of, of funny is personal. Right. Well, I just remember when we grew up, and I never forgot it, uh, the saying was, sticks and stones could break my bones, but your words would never hurt me. And, Amen. And we, and we really believe that. And I tell everyone, I, I haven't had my feelings hurt since the fifth grade because they trained us how not to let stuff like that bother us. And then my only other thing, because, you know, it's going to make it kind of serious here, is that people need to realize the Constitution, you don't have a right not to be offended. And my... Um, it's up to me to know how to process what people say, number one. And I just have two general rules, and maybe that's what we thought. Just don't personally disrespect me in front of my face. I mean, we thought it was being disrespectful. But secondly, uh, as long as you, don't, you aren't breaking the law, you're free to say whatever you want, and we just need to grow up and realize that, uh, what a privilege it is to have freedom of speech and respect that in each other. So that's, that's my topic on that. Uh, anything to say before I dive into I just want to say yeah. if you uh-huh. decide that you're going to go out to a comedy show take your thinking cap off mm-hmm. that's not the time to start thinking about it and that's not the time to say I want to take offense hey right. Fort- I got to say hello to somebody that's watching me right now Fort- Fort- Fortunato's in New York City I've been doing some uh, videos with them they uh, make pastries and stuff how are you guys doing it's good to see you over there but I just want to say take your thinking cap off Comedy is about if you're tall, small, ugly, good looking, if you're poor, if you're rich, if you're driving a Bentley and the next day you're driving a Yugo. Mm-hmm. It don't make a difference. If you're driving a Yugo, trust me, I got 20 million jokes for you. Okay. Right, right. They right. don't even make Yugos anymore. And I'm surprised there's still one on the road running. But anyway, I'm just saying in general, ease up. Right, We're here right. to have fun. And the reason why. People are not laughing mainly is because people don't know how to laugh at themselves. Right. We're funny beings. Right. Well, I heard you yell at one of your 
I'm assuming homies or something from New York City, one of my favorite city. Uh, have it uh, rebounded at all? Because I haven't been there since the craziness started, but I, I, I kind of miss the city and plan on coming back sometime this year. Uh, has it rebounded yet as far it's as you coming know? Back, it's coming back slowly. What's going on is it's slowly waking up because people are still cautious about the whole COVID, even businesses. Cause what I do is uh, part of my entrepreneurial spirit is me going in to uh, venues to do comedy shows. Mm -hmm. Reason being is one, I'm a great host. I don't care if I'm not allowed to be arrogant. You're never going to find a better host than me. I'm a great host. Why? I don't try to outshine the talent Two, I'm not going to get stage time because I'm not I, I, I'm not a comic at the accelerated level. So I got to create opportunities for me. As you could tell, I got the gift of gab. Mm -hmm. So it's easier for me to go into a venue and talk to them and see if I can get a state, get do some stage time and stuff. So it, it's it, they're they're worried a little bit about is something else going to come around the corner because okay. that's what's been going on. Every time we think we're out three months later, ah, here it comes again. You know, well, like it's ever going to go away. I don't know. But I ain't going to get into that one either right now. So we're going to talk about your comic uh, career and everything here shortly. But first of all, let's back up and let's learn a little bit about who Marklin Johnson is. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Marklin. Where were you born and raised at, uh, first of all? Born and raised in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, uh, class of 91, Scotch Plains fan with high school, give it, giving yourselves a big ups. If you're listening, appreciate you, love you. You know, I uh, lived here until I was 32, moved out to Minnesota, a lost soul. I say that in my first book, Lessons from, from a Shit Talker, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. you can see right here. Here you go, shameless plug, shameless mm -hmm. plug. No, no you're saving you me the trouble here. Too. You got uh -huh. you. <laughs> I got me a copy too, everybody. So it's, I'm gonna, it's, yeah. it's, I, when ahead. I get to Minneapolis, I'm going to meet up and sign that for you, but I was okay. a lost soul when I moved out to Minneapolis, and um, I still was a lost soul for a while. Um, the main reason why I was a lost soul is because I've always had this uh, creativity inside of me, but people always told me to shut up. People always told me, you know, because people seem to think that they could, they're the identifiers of talent, you know? Oh, I've been watching Kevin Hart. If you're not doing stuff like Kevin Hart, you're not talented. Okay, well, Kevin Hart ain't doing stuff like Eddie Murphy. Would you say Eddie Murphy's not talented? Right, right, you know, right. but I listened to the people and I had to learn at 35 at a late age. I had to learn. Stop listening to people. So whenever I hear anyone moving to Minnesota or anywhere while you move there, this 75 percent of the time, that's either one or two answers. One is career and the other one is uh, romance or love interest. And 95 percent of the time that romance and love interest break up after they move. So where I'm getting to, Marklin. Uh, what brought you to Minneapolis, Minnesota? I, here's the thing that I've learned in life. If you live, if you stay stagnant, you know, you're not going to go anywhere. I needed a change. Minnesota was so drastically different than Minnesota, to New Jersey. I needed mm -hmm. that change. I needed something different than what I was doing. I was an only child. I was living home with my parents and I wasn't doing anything with my life. I was really, you know, moving in and out of jobs. And, you know, I knew in New Jersey, I wasn't a corporate America person, but unfortunately when I moved to Minnesota, I still tried to do the corporate America thing. And it didn't work out for me. I mean, the last job I had there was at Target, which that was a good job, but I'm just not a corporate America person. And I figured that out living there. I'm not corporate America. I'm not, I have a wild, I have a wild, crazy personality. I tell people if I don't like them, 
I tell people straight up, if my manager gets on my nerves, you're going to know you're on my nerves. I don't, yep. I don't hide. I can't hide it on my, like, I'm one of those people, you know, when I don't like you, there's no second guessing it. And I, and for those of you out there that might disagree with what I'm saying, and if take no offense, I honestly feel as black men in America, it is a little bit harder for us to be ourselves in corporate America. We have to wear two faces. You know, we have to wear the face we have at home and then we got the face that we have at work, which a lot of people say everyone's like that. A little bit different. And I honestly felt I couldn't thrive in corporate America. So when I was looking at your bio, uh, a lot of things about what you do and uh, have done fit into our theme on this podcast as far as business, family, and just ideas and where I'm getting to, I know you grew up as an only child. You mentioned it. And I, it sounds like from everything I read uh, starting out with in the lesson from a bullshitter is that you were from a pretty decent family. So why don't you tell us about that? I like the idea that you basically imply uh, that whatever you wanted to be, your family was supportive. But tell us about that relationship and including the special relationship you had with your dad. I believe as far as I can remember, I used to always go to a lot of places with my dad. I always jump in a car with him and go. And that was earlier in life. Middle of, you know, once I got like 10, a little bit older, I didn't hang out with him as much. I hung out with my mom. So I had close relationships with both of them. Uh, my dad was a football teach, was a football coach. He was a gym teacher. He also, ex you know, exerted his entrepreneurial spirit. He owned homes. He owed pay phones. He, he, you know, he tried to stretch his entrepreneurial spirit as well. And I, and those are the lessons that I learned from him. A lot of things are about finding who you are. And those are the things that he tried to instill in me was about me, you know, constantly figuring out who I was, me constantly figuring out who I am and what I'm about and how I go about doing things. And I always look back on it and say, I should have listened to those, you know, lessons earlier in life, but sometimes you, you resist what your father's telling you or your mother's telling you, because it's like, well, they're older. They don't get it. And no, they got it. That's you know, correct. they got it. And I get it now. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm in a good position to get to where I want to be. And, you know, one of the best lessons that my dad ever said is anything you want to do, I know you'll do because I, I understand who you are. And every time I've wanted to do something, I've accomplished it. Sometimes I say, I don't know how I ended up there. Like I honestly, mm -hmm. I said to you earlier, I don't know how I wrote two books. Right. I right. don't, I honestly right. don't, but I have them. Right. Right. So uh, I read somewhere and you just repeated it there. You regret not listening uh, to your parents and, and, and dads like that. You talked about the fact that you were in uh, uh, Minnesota for a while. But I understand before you uh, came to Minnesota, you got your education from the Connecticut, Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Is that uh, correct? And yes, tell us a little bit about Tell us a little bit about that experience and what you learned there that you were able to apply uh, as you went out into the world of uh, being an MC, comic, public speaker, et cetera. Well, in all honesty, I went to the uh, Connecticut School of Broadcasting after Minnesota. Before oh, okay. Then, oh, okay. Right. Okay. Before, yeah. then, before then, I went to DeVry College of Technology, which oh, yeah. which right. if you owe a loan to DeVry, you could contact the government and get it uh, taken care of. Just for y'all that don't know that, uh, let them know about that because uh, I'm getting my debt cleared because I went to DeVry. We're not going to talk about that on here, though. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> but no, in all honesty, I went to DeVry. 
And I went to DeVry because I said, if I have computer skills, unless I go crazy, I'll always have a job. Right. right. You know, computers right. are everything now. Right. So I did that. And then I moved back in 2014. My dad passed away in October of 2014. I then attended the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, which basically it takes your skills of what you have if you have none or if you have some, and it teaches you how are you going to be on radio, how are you going to be in a TV room and stuff of that nature, which I excelled at because I was actually very good at it. Now, again, these are skill sets that I didn't know I had, but a funny story, when I was in high school, I took a class for TV. I took a TV class. And I did some street interviews. I interviewed uh, the high school basketball coach and a few other players. And even the guy that taught the class was amazed at how natural I was on camera. You know, like mm -hmm. for some reason, for some reason, I have a natural charm on camera. I mean, I understand I'm good looking, but it's besides that. I actually know how to handle myself on camera. Okay, thanks for that modesty there. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Okay, so now uh, you've got this, uh, came back uh, to the East Coast, uh, went to school of broadcasting. Uh, now, I've heard some uh, names applied to you, nicknames applied to you, and I'm going to go through each one of them, and you're going to tell me how did you get that nickname. Uh -oh. uh, Mr. Direct, I think you already hinted at that, you Corporate America couldn't take you because of that, but uh, explain that a little I, you bit. You know what? I actually earned that name in Minnesota. I was uh, this was when Facebook first started, uh -huh. and I was writing about an a situation that happened, and I pulled no punches. I said exactly as it was, and at that time, people were less likely to talk about themselves really on mm -hmm. Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so she said, "Who do you think you are?" And I said, "Well, I'm Mr. Direct," and it just rung. You know, it rung. Right, right. And from that point forward, I called myself Mr. Direct. And that's my, when I go up and perform, and this is what people don't understand. The guy you see every day is Marklin T. Johnson. Mm -hmm. When I go up and perform, I'm Mr. Direct. No holes barred. I say what I say. And if you don't like it, deal with it. Okay. Now that explains <laughs> that. I want, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a little rougher as we go along here. A uh, little bit of a troublemaker. I can see um, why you got that one, Mark. You know what? I'm really, you know, the funny thing is, when you're the person that's outspoken, they're always going to make you the troublemaker because right, you're the one that's right, daring enough to right. say it. Um, when people are thinking it, I say it. When people question it, I say it. I take pride in the fact that I'm naturally me. There's no ill. There's no ill will meant behind it. I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings. I'm just being honest. I'm getting, I'm being sincere about the way I feel about things. And then, and and I mentioned to you because we do chat before we go on air here. The one I was most curious about, and I've heard referred to in the interview or so of yours, and I think you're coming out of, with a book with that in the title, "Racist." Give me the background to that one, and that's the one I was really curious about how you got another that one. shameless plug. If you pick up the book, <laughs> lessons from <laughs> if, you, if you pick up the other book. Facebook conversations, the good, uh, the funny, the ugly. I started having a lot of conversations candidly in my town page on Facebook about race. Um, why was why is why are you a patriot because you love Trump, but you're anti-American because you love Obama? 
what is so hard to understand that black people do experience a lot of black people experience this country differently. Yep. Just because mm -hmm. we speak on it doesn't mean we're looking for something for free. Just because we're telling you about it doesn't mean we expect you to give us anything. What we're saying is we experience this country differently than you respect mm -hmm. it. So instead of telling us, we don't know what we're talking about, which I, and I say this wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. I'm not a man. I can't tell a woman what her experience is. So when a woman speaks to me about her experience, I listen. If a gay person tells me about their experience, I listen. Mm -hmm. Now I might not agree, but mm -hmm. I listen. Mm -hmm. And it, un unfortunately, racism in this country has some people thinking they know more about how African Amer African Americans or blacks, whatever you want to label us, label us live than we do. Right. They're more experienced on our experience than we. And what I did was, as I started talking about it, I noticed a lot of people started calling me a racist and a race baiter. And I laughed about it and I said, well, I'm not speaking anti-white. I'm not even speaking anti-American. What I'm doing is having a discussion of how people of color exist differently in this country than said white people. But unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, a lot of right-wing newspaper, and if I offend somebody that's like, well, I listen to it, I could care less, to be honest with you, because mm -hmm. I listen to right-wing papers. I listen mm -hmm. to left-wing papers. I listen to it all. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the calling card became, if you talk about race, you're the racist. Yeah. So instead, they'll imply racism, which anybody with a brain can tell what they're saying. But mm -hmm. the minute you say, well, this is what you're talking about. Oh, well, you're the one that brought up the race. You're the racist. And they think that we're stupid enough to fall for it. And it's like, again, shameless plug. But mm -hmm. if you pick up the book, <laughs> there's, a uh -huh. few, there's a few chapters in the book where you can read that some of these some of these people couldn't even they were you could tell they were behind a keyboard and they were foaming at the mouth to say something to try to belittle me. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of a lot of people don't understand. Black men don't like to be called boy. That's true. They don't like to be called boy. The reason why is because the history of calling them boy is a racist overtone, meaning they're not men. They're not equal to their white counterparts. So they would refer to them as, hey, boy, get over here. Hey, N-word, get over here. That's what it was. They associated them together. So now the covert, race, the co the covert racist, he won't do that. What he'll do is he'll shorten your name to a little boy name because he knows he can't call you the N-word out loud because now everybody knows who he is. Right, but he'll right. call you the little boy name. So when you read chapter uh, two, you actually see that the gentleman, or chapter two or chapter three, I forget what it was, refers to me as Marky. And that's what I did in the book. What I literally did was engage people long enough for them to expose their hate, their mm -hmm. ignorance. And I still do it. I don't do it as much, but mm -hmm. I still do it. And I'm always amazed that when somebody's got a keyboard in front of them, they'll say some of the most vile, and disgusting things but the minute you see them face to face oh hi uh, how are you and then when you return what you know they've said to why are you talking to me why is there a conversation going on 
they try to assert that you're the angry person. And it's like, no, I know who likes me and who don't. Right, right. So now, and, and this is one of these little loose end type of things here. So I looked at the title and, you know, the good, the funny and the ugly. And I was just curious. You know, we're used to the movie thing, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you basically replace the bad with funny. It was Give me some type of thinking that went into the title as far as that's concerned. Well, sometimes conversations are just funny. Right, right. If you use Facebook for really what it is, it's really a social experiment of bringing people together from different backgrounds and really being able to have conversation and communication. And that's why they allow you to share pictures. That's why they allow you to share different articles from different spaces, because this is how you really understand how people are. So if you look at some of the articles that are in here, like some of my thoughts on Dayton and, you know, like some, like one of the articles I wrote, um, uh, emotional retardation, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, you know, people make funny comments. So the idea of the funny is you could probably read something and I think it's serious, but you think it's funny. Again, people don't always know how to laugh at themselves. Mm -hmm. So you're working. So the book had funny moments in it. Um, there's some other stuff I don't want to say because this is a little family friendly. But if you pick up the book, it's on Amazon. It's a four star reader. The other one's a five star reader. Lessons from a shit talker. The Facebook conversations, the good, the funny and ugly. Trust me when I tell you. You will enjoy it. And what you're going to enjoy mostly is it's a social experiment. You're going to be shocked how some of these people respond to simple questions. So uh, before we leave that subject, a couple of things. Uh, do you think from a serious standpoint that uh, basically social media uh, is kind of getting off the rail? Do you have any uh, concerns as far as what it's doing to our society, any concerns about the people behind these social media uh, platform who's uh, doing a lot of great brain science to form our behavior. And, and sometimes the, 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 all the arguments and crazy stuff is actually money making for them. Do you have any thoughts? It really is. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. It's not that social media is, is the problem. The problem is people naturally, for some reason, want to isolate themselves to people that are like them. We, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're naturally curious human beings. But unfortunately, and I say this honestly, mm -hmm. you have a lot of people who are ignorant and their ignorance is only personified by surrounding themselves with other people just as ignorant. Mm -hmm. They don't allow any other thought outside of what they know. I grew up in a very Republican area. I didn't even realize this until Barack Obama was elected. And I saw some of the disgusting things people were saying about him before he was even in office, hadn't mm -hmm. passed anything. Mm -hmm. And they would say borderline racist things. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was normal. And then when I corrected them, oh, well, look at you being a racist. Like, well, well no, time out. I was the good black guy when you didn't know of my opinions. Then I became the bad black guy the minute I shared my opinion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People, I don't care what side of the aisle you on, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green Party. If you're only surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded like you, you're ignorant. People don't have to have the same political views to be valued in this country. And what happened was 
politics saw this. So now politics started automatically saying, listen, we've got people divided so much that people will now, we could literally, we, we could push our content to the extreme because now if we can get to the extreme people and, and pull them in and, and let them know we're for them, they'll love us forever. And that's what it is. People are more concerned about being right. And, 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 and I say this to everybody that, that, that says this. I don't believe that there wasn't uh, voter fraud. I don't believe for a minute there wasn't voter fraud. The problem is both sides were committing voter fraud. And one side thought, well, if we're doing it, we thought we were going to win. The other side did it and won. So, okay, I got cheated out of my cheating. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm talking about when you play sports. Mm-hmm. You cheat it. You know you cheated. So if they beat you when you cheated, okay, what did they do to cheat to get mm-hmm. the victory? Right, that's, right. that's what's going on in our world today. People are too busy worrying about a victory for their party, thinking only their interest matters. I don't care if you're black, white, gay, straight, whatever the hell you fall underneath. We're all Americans. We need candidates that worry about all Americans and stop this. If you don't think the way I think, you're not American for us. And that's where social media is is really just magnifying who we are. Mm-hmm. And I would say this, and I'll let you go, and I'm sorry. No, 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 just, don't, don't let me. I will say this. Answer. Part mm-hmm. of the issue that we have is that a lot of our mentalities before social media were mm-hmm. kept quiet because I'm, okay, I'm 49 years old. If you're 49 years old, you're born in the 70s Gen X. Your parents are coming off civil rights, women's rights, Vietnam War, war on drugs. Four major things going on. Your parents told you, shut the hell up, get a job, raise your family, and be done. So a lot of what we saw in America, racism, sexism, women being treated poorly, gays being treated poorly, they were slowly creeping in underlying as issues, but we didn't talk about it because it's if it's not in my world, I don't need to do with it. Social media came along and you and I are close in age. It used to be only our parents and grandparents had a voice. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you weren't an elder, shut up and listen to what you're told. Even if you was in your 30s, listen to your elders. Mm-hmm. Now, every generation has a voice every generation has a voice every generation if you're 10 years old if you're a teenager if you're in your 20s if you're 30s all these people are talking that's what social media has done it's created this vacuum of now we can all talk and tell each other what pieces of crap we are well Marklin, <laughs> I'm old school. I'm a little bit older than you. And we'll have a debate because I got to bring you back on. I'm not sure that's a good thing. As a, fact, as a matter of fact, I think that's a bad thing. Okay. Uh, I, I think that's a when We got to, and I'll just use this as an example, people, that don't read too much into it. When we got a, a 16-year-old girl lecturing us on climate change, to me, that's a joke. Uh, when I go in, No, no, no. <laughs> I agree with you. And not to interrupt yeah. you. I agree with you. My, my point about that is, is 
Now you just have kids that are more socially aware. Yeah, right, right. And the problem is it's not that they're so all socially aware of bad things. They're more so socially aware of, for instance, the right. way gays and blacks and other people have been marginalized for years. Hmm. Now they're more aware of it and now they get the voice it. Whereas at my age at 49, when I was a teenager, Boy, if you don't go and get your education and shut up, don't nobody want to hear that from you. What do you know? You're a right. teenager. Now we're being taught to respect their voices. Right. But I thought they were the older people were right, though. This is an interesting conversation because I was I served on a school site council school. And one of my biggest challenges was when they wanted the students input on cell phone policy. And I told that's good. Where I was, when I was growing up, they'll tell you what the policy is and you, and you follow. And, and, and to be honest, and I tell people, it made life simpler for me. I wasn't, I don't think looking back on it, even though I was, I think I was always a smart kid. I appreciate the fact that I had to show deference to the older generation. And I think once we lost that pecking order, that that has created, it has created more, problem than is solving. So we'll have another conversation on that when I get you back here. But let's let's segue into your career here. And uh, I know, and you indicated earlier, you were working a nine-to-five job, and, and you realized very early that your personality wasn't uh, cut out for that. And then you took a chance. And you're going to say, hey, I'm going to put my cards on the table, and I'm going to bet on me. So explain that whole a uh, scenario that led you to make that decision. And do you remember the exact moment when you made that decision? Yeah, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Every morning you wake up, if you're an entrepreneur, and I, I want to say this, mm -hmm. I want to say this. Recently, um, last August, I reconnected with a friend of mine from high school. And, and she's super smart. Mm -hmm. And where I thought it would be romance, it kind of fell more so into a friendship. Mm -hmm. And listening to her talk about business set a fire inside of me. And I was working another nine to five job. Mm -hmm. And every time we talked, we would talk about business. And I don't have a lot of friends that talk business with me. They talk about stuff, but it's very fluff crap. She would talk about business with me and advantages of doing business in the state of Florida and advantages in doing business here and there. And, uh, you know, I was we, we don't speak anymore. We had a falling out over something stupid. I don't know why. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is you realize what you're meant to do when you surround yourself with people. And you were saying before everyone comes in your life for a reason. Mm -hmm. This young lady came into my life and was feeding me information where i became so grateful for her and i and i told her i said i'll always be around even if you try to get rid of me i'll somehow be around because i realized how smart she was and it's not often i run into somebody that feeds my soul on the business side and then when i realized this i quit my job i quit my job i didn't know what i was going to do i said i got a little bit of time to figure it out i'm still figuring it out things are starting to come together i'm hosting shows in miami but I have to thank her because I was really going to continue to do the nine to five because it was paying the bills. Right, right. And so, I needed that. But I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I get frustrated. And then she would tell me her stories of, 
You know, I sacrifice. I eat oodles and noodles. You know, I'm cutting coupons. I'm doing all this to save money to make things work. And I realized I I, I realized I wasn't anything because I wasn't sacrificing anything. And they always say, mm -hmm. if you want to become something, you got to be willing to sacrifice something. Mm hmm. And what are you willing to sacrifice? And to that young lady who probably won't even hear this, but if she does, I have to say thank you so much for putting that fire inside of me. And I'm almost in tears because I miss her friendship and I miss the conversations we had about business, about life in general. That's what you need if you're going to follow your entrepreneurial spirit. You got to stop hanging around people who just want to wake up and go to a nine to five and complain and say, I hate it. You got to surround yourself with people who are entrepreneurial. And that's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I was around people. And when like comedy, you don't get to do comedy if you're not around comics. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Uh huh. So now when you quit your job, were you still in Minnesota or this after you moved back? To... This is after I moved back here. Okay, uh, okay, okay. And you started a company. I think it was called Media Productions. Real Talk uh, Media Productions. Real Talk Media. Uh, thank you for uh, adding that in there. And but you're also as uh, not only an entrepreneur. I see you are a host. And when I see host, uh, I automatically assume you're hosting something. And tell us about your hosting. Uh, professional right what you're doing yes well i host podcast sunday coffee check it out it's on itunes it's on spotify it's also on facebook it's called guess what sunday coffee and trust me when i tell you we talk about some things we have fun my co-host mel g i'm getting her up to speed on it because she she wasn't ready to deal with me i'm i'm a handful i don't mm -hmm. know if i don't know if anybody warned you yet but i'm a handful like i'm a real handful but that's all right though i love it that i am but I love hosting, and, and it's weird. I would literally get on um, comedy shows, and I was always complimented about my comfort on stage. The mic doing podcasts is what made me comfortable on stage because right. a mic is a mic is a mic is a mic. Right. I just had to get out there and do what I do best when I have a mic in my hand, which is, again, you guys don't understand this. I'm going to do another shameless plug. Uh-huh. It's called Lessons from a Shit Talker for a reason. <laughs> right. I'm introduced, Lacey. When they introduce me, they say the next comic coming to the stage is a real shit talker. So much so he wrote a book, Lessons from a Shit Talker. That lowers the bar of how I'm gonna let make them laugh. Excellent. That lowers the bar of I'm looking for intelligence. No, you're just ready to laugh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, I love your attitude. A mic is a mic is a mic. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your ath athletic uh, prowess here, too. But it reminded me, that was my attitude uh, when I played basketball. I don't care where is that. I don't care who I'm playing against. As long as the goal 10 foot call and, and, and it's even, they got nets on it. That's all that matters to me. And, and I didn't get uh, upset about, you know, being in other people's stadium and people booing you. It's still a basket. As long as it's a basket, like every other basket, I'm comfortable and I'm going to score some points. So now, uh, speaking of that, uh, you mentioned your father was a football coach, I think. Yeah. Behringer, high, school, Behringer, high school Behringer Bears. Does that mean that Marklin uh, had an athletic career and he played football, basketball, <laughs> baseball, Hell and all no, that good stuff? Let me tell you. The one time I played football, I couldn't tackle. Somebody hit me hard. I was like, nah, this ain't for me. <laughs> 
I played a lot of pickup basketball uh, in my 20s. I played a lot of pickup basketball. I loved basketball. Uh, basketball was my first freedom of expression. Mm -hmm. Whether I was winning, whether I losing, and I lost more than I won, mm -hmm. but it was a freedom of expression. There was, uh, um, it, there was, there's nothing, uh, no matter what sport you play, there's a lot of creativity when you play basketball. Yes, it is. And there's a lot of control. And I used to psych people out just talking smack to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, if if you know what you're doing and you can, you know, I wasn't tall. I could jump well, and okay. I was fast. And I, every now and then I can hit you with a hit, with a quick crossover. All right. So, so, mm -hmm. so I'm just saying in general, go ahead. How how does one, uh, a boy, live in the house of a high school football coach, and he not make sure you're on the team, even if you're sitting on the bench and everybody wondering, looking at you as dad's favorite. I would think you couldn't get out of. Well, I grew football. up in a. I was in the suburbs. My dad okay. was. My dad was in a uh, teaching in Newark, which is more. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. 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 That's okay. number one. Number two. Okay. I graduated high school 125 pounds soaking wet. Right. So, and and my parents, because I was the only child, were a little overprotective. He really didn't want me playing basketball. And again, I was a lost child. I would have done better. I would have fared better if I went to like an arts high school. Okay. Because okay. I'm not, I'm not a scholar. I, it's not that I'm not smart. I'm just a very, like uh, our mutual friend, uh, SD, could tell you, I built an entire studio in my basement. Oh, that's the wow. type of guy. That's the type of person I am. I can figure things out and get it done. So yeah. I might not be able to play football, but I could probably learn the X's and O's by watching. Mm -hmm. And I could probably become like if I decided right now and say I want to teach high school football, I'll find a way to teach high school football. Right. Why? Right. Because yeah. I'll surround myself with people that do it. And I'll say I want to learn so I can coach it. So, yeah, Markley, you're going to learn. And I'm still learning to pace myself on these, but I got a few more things. I want to circle back because I've heard the word lost a couple of times, and I saw a quote from you. There's something about the story of a lost soul who found his talents and wants to give them to the world, and I thought that was a pretty deep type of statement. So why don't you spend a minute explaining what I think you said that. I saw it as a quote, I think. It is a quote. Okay, what you what did you mean by that? Quote <laughs> me, darling. Come on. I, I, I didn't want to put words in your mouth, and I want to be exact because I know I read it somewhere, and I didn't. I, I forgot whether it was in quotation or not. Um, here's 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 the way to think about it. Your talents that are natural to you are somehow always given to you as a way to better society around you. The reason why I'm able to jump on stage and just talk shit to the audience and have fun is because it's entertaining. And we all need to laugh right now. Like right now, I'm trying to work with uh, some VAs so that I could put together a VA tour of VA comics to entertain VA people at VA hospitals and VA senior citizens and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That is my production is my talent. I know what to do with production. Sometimes I get bored with it, so I have to look for other challenges. But anytime you want to get into the media 
realm, you're doing it because you're trying to better society. Now, a lot of people are putting out crazy content and it's not about bettering society, but maybe it is to other people because it's entertaining to them. I was a lost soul because I didn't know how to fill that void that was in my life. And the minute I knew I can make people laugh, the minute I knew I can entertain people, I knew I had a gift. The problem is how do I get my gift to the world? And that's one of the beautiful things about social media. Mm-hmm. Because you could bring your gift to the world and maximize it if you work on it. Yeah, I, I'm trying to adjust to that, but I, I'm kind of old school. And my my uh, social media team, my podcast team, they know uh, they have to really get on me about being very excited about social media. And say, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your comic career, but let me just backtrack one one time here. Uh, as far as social media is concerned. Do you see a potential sometime in the future that social media will actually bring us closer together instead of dividing us? Is, is that is that something that uh, that's a likelihood to happen? Uh, the way we are now is you have to make that You have to make that choice. Right. You have to decide. Like I, I take social media with a grain of salt. Right. The reason why I take it with a grain of salt is again, these people are all cal- they're keyboard warriors. The minute you see them face to face, again, you posted something the other day about asking the question with me on it. And there was some people commenting on it like, who cares? Let's talk about more serious stuff. If you was to see them in their face, they wouldn't say that. Right, right. And that right. doesn't make them bad people. Right. What I'm saying is everybody gets the minute. Here it is. Look, see this? Everybody is a tough guy when they've got a keyboard on them because it's easier to type these words and, you know, not feel the repercussions behind these words. What's the chances of you running into that person? If you take social media for what it is, it's meant to bring us together. It's meant to create dialogue. It's meant for us to socialize. That's why it's called social media. Mm -hmm. It's meant to it. People use it for whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But it's up to you as an individual to decide how you engage people. It's up to you as an individual to put aside your grievances, your biases and whatever. And when you're in a group and it's a group that's wide open to 26,000 people and it's a mm-hmm. news site, mm-hmm. stop trying to act like you know what you're talking about when they talk about their experiences towards an article. Uh, right. who's, the, who's the young man that was just shot? Uh, I don't know. Who? Am uh, I supposed to the guy that just woke up, uh, he, you know who I'm talking about, Locke, I think. Locke. Oh, Mimir oh, Locke here in Minnesota. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, just yeah, went in on. Yeah. I just went on a thread, and some guy goes, "Well, apparently people don't know the law." And I said, "Well, apparently you don't understand that when you wake up within 30 seconds, you're still not awake." Right. right. Oh well, officers have the toughest job in the world. Officers volunteered to sign up for that job. I didn't volunteer to be black. I didn't volunteer to do anything. If I'm woken up in a bad area in the middle of the night, within 30 seconds, my my radar, if I know I have a gun, is to go grab it. Now, when I say that, does that mean I believe that he should have been charged? No, but I don't know if he should get, I don't know what type of discipline you should give him because you can't tell me that the kid was a danger 30 seconds after waking up and he wasn't even aiming a gun at any of them. He was literally picking it up, which I understand their reaction, just kill him. But 
Shouldn't we retrain officers to understand the difference between a gun being aimed at them and somebody just waking up with 30 seconds? Yeah, and it's interesting you should mention that. And and let's face it, it's tough. It's tough choices because I live, I live in some of these neighborhoods, and if I'm a cop, I, I do want to make it home safely, and you got a split second to make a decision. But 100%. It, 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 it's, and I got uh, a lot of people that who are uh, 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 police officers, so I understand both sides of that equation. It's a tough call, and I tell everybody, Anytime you got guns involved, sometimes stuff going to happen that shouldn't happen. But this is where I was going to. I, I think I recently saw a court decision that says that uh, if 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 you aren't pointing the gun at the officer, then they don't have a right to sue you. But it's going to get a little bit more complicated that. And I also rule that in your own home, I just learned this last night, uh, the court ruled that you have a right to come to the door with a gun in your hand. Yes. And I get killed. I get killed. So, uh, but there's some nuances to all of that. I think it's going to work itself out over time. And these are some very complex issues. And I think the key is that we listen to both sides. And and, and that's right. what it is. Right. Thank right. You. And respect each other. You know. And, and and not only that, a lot of times people look. Sometimes bad things can happen. And nobody's really to blame, you know. And and, and and sometimes, you know, we always gotta find a villain in the situation. And and, and those are the type of conversations I like to have. Uh, the other thing that I see, and probably the most thing, is that we're dealing with two different sets of knowledge and information. Number one, yes. And, and but the second thing, which shouldn't be an issue, we're coming at it from different perspective. And I think. Once we start respecting each other's perspective, uh, that's that that's what it is. We we stop respecting that, and we we are assigning good and evil uh, to people who have different perspective than we do, or who have the same perspective. And that's why I see it it's lost. And to be honest with you, I'm a Christian, and I think a lot of times Christians get a bad deal in that because they we're, we're crazy and they just don't respect the fact that we love everybody. We don't want to see nobody get killed. We just like you, but respect the fact that we have a different view of the world than you do, and we respect your views. And so there got to be some type of way that we as a country can come together, talk intelligent about these issues, and solve them, by the way. And if you notice, we're not solving a lot of these issues, and quit making character judgment on people based on their opinion and i tell everyone when i look up the word bigot a lot of it is just disrespecting people because of their opinions and we often associate it with race and gender and stuff but it's opinions is just as big of a uh, item to, that'll make you biggest and just not respecting people simply because of their opinion good time to segue which i've been waiting for this by the way and i should have gotten to it a lot earlier uh your career as a comic and i indicated to you one of the first questions that struck my mind, and I pay attention to these little things. Well, what's the difference between a comic and a comedian? It's actually the same thing. doesn't make a difference. Okay, okay, okay good, good. Comics, some people call them comedians. It's it's, it's okay. technically the same thing. I call myself a comic. I don't call okay. myself a comedian. Okay, good. Uh, I stumbled into it. Um, mm -hmm. I started doing my podcast, and I went on a date with a young lady to the act. Again, people come into your lives for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I went to a uh, Monday night open mic at Acme Comedy Club. Oh, that's, that's I got heavy on stage. duty. 
The guy went on stage and he was horrible for three minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, I could do that. Right. 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 No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest mistake people get is when they say, well, I could do that. If he could do that for three minutes and be horrible, I could do that. But there's an art to it. How much have you been writing? How much have you really been put? Like right now, a friend of mine just texted me about something that's going on. So when I finish this, I got to run up there. Hopefully I'm there in enough time because it's like 40 minutes away. I'm going to get you off here. shortly. Go ahead. The point is I was pushed into doing it and I was half doing it. Then all of a sudden when I moved home in 2014 after my dad died, I was like, all right, you know, maybe I should really step into this and try. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, you know, like I couldn't. I really couldn't get a feel for it like I thought. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys that was at, he was like, hey, I'm doing this thing called the Big Ten. So you get eight to ten minutes to perform. Mm -hmm. And that was August of 2017. I went and did it. My friends came out and they were like, oh, man, like you're really good. I did it another time. Then all of a sudden in 2000, in uh, August of uh, no uh, January. Well, yeah. In December of 2018 to 19, I started working production with a gentleman in New York City. And I started realizing while production was down, I had a lot of time on my hands. So I started doing mics three to four times a day. Mm. So I don't know if you know anything, but imagine if you played basketball all day, every day, and your body wouldn't wear and tear from it. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, so now all of a sudden, I got real good, real fast, and I started meeting people, and people respect me. They were like, "Yo, he's pretty decent." So a couple of friends, uh, Mike Marino, big shout out to Mike Marino. He's a comic nationally known. He gave me an opportunity to open some shows for him when I was barely doing comedy. I opened some shows for him. Um, I, I easily a hundred people in the room. I got on stage, cracked some jokes. People was laughing. I was like, man, I'm kind of good at this. I did another show for him. He threw me on stage and he goes, okay, well, you're just going to host this show. And then he goes, okay, it looks like the guy that was going to host the one isn't going to be here. So how would you like to do more time? I ended up hosting two shows and doing 20 minutes, uh, doing 15 minutes on each show. Wow. Um, with that being said, last last August, I tried out for the industry room which is what you do when you want to pass at a, a comedy club. If you pass, they give you two or three months where they just throw you wherever to see how you can do. Mm-hmm. I got a weekend pass. I didn't get in, but I got a weekend pass. And the guy said to me, stage presence, perfect. Tone, perfect. You know what you're doing when you're on your stage. Comfortable as anything. You just got to get better writing your jokes. You just uh-huh. got to get better writing your jokes. He's like, notice what I'm telling you. You got to get better writing your jokes and i use that as sort of a stepping stone of telling people yeah i didn't get the industry room and a lot of famous guys didn't pass the industry room or whatever they just did their thing to do you know to make it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but what i did was prove to myself that if i want it i can do it so should we expect to see marklin uh with his netflix special sometime in the future as you get better at writing go ahead funny you say that i did my first half hour uh on my own headline in my show for my birthday december 9th that just passed um because i quit my job i'm budgeting so i'm not out Mm -hmm. there as much but like tonight Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go Mm -hmm. do a mic 
Okay. And then okay. a couple of other, like, I'm hosting a show in uh, Miami. And one of my comic friends got on my case because she goes, I see you producing these shows, but you just host. You don't run time like you should. And it stuck in my head because she never had to say that to me. Right. Comedy is a dog eat dog. And a lot of comics will tell you they're for you, but they're not. But she was telling me, look at you producing these shows. You should be putting yourself on. So what I do now is I open with 10 and then I do my own guest spot. So now oh. automatically every show I do 20 minutes. That forces me to come up with, you know, to perfect material and to mm -hmm. come up with new material. Right. And right, right. So when we follow up, because I want to, uh, un, by the way, I've done an open mic myself just because I just like trying different stuff. I see other people doing it. It's fun. And I only had one joke. <laughs> I think that's the end of my comic career. Uh, but uh, in your preparation, especially for your first performance, uh, what did you do? Did you just walk around with a notepad or something? And as things came to your mind, you wrote them down and then you perfected them. It's a, a combination. Mm -hmm. It's a combination. Mm -hmm. um, I don't write every day. The reason why I don't write every day is because I'm not in a mood to write every day. Some of your poll, the, the, but here's the, let me tell you real quick about what I love about comedy. Mm -hmm. You could find out who you are by doing comedy. You can't find out who you are by doing acting. Because acting is just acting. Mm -hmm. By doing comedy, it forces you to write. Yes. Writing is the most powerful tool you have because, again, I still can't believe I wrote two books. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, it, But it came from me having to write. Writing on Facebook, you don't realize what you're doing to your mind when you're writing based off of society and everything around you. I, and I didn't realize, and you're going to laugh, I was writing a whole bunch of craziness on Facebook that was funny and people loved it. Right, right. So right. now it was taking it and stop putting it to Facebook, but put it on pen and paper. And now being able to go out there and perform it and talk about it. And if I verbally said the joke to you, you'd be like, that's not funny. You go watch me perform the joke and you'd be like, ah, now I get why it's funny. That's the art of comedy. And if I'm not good at comedy, I'm a writer. Again, I wrote two books, got a third yeah. book coming. It's it, when you write, you have to write from your heart. Right. Now you can write some stuff and say it's nowhere near me. Like I tell some jokes that it's not me, but they're funny. Right. And that's all that matters. Now you mentioned earlier, one of your uh, comics, a comedian that you admire, Don Rickle, two quest part two question. How would you describe your comedy or comedy style and who are some of your favorite comics or comedians? My favorite comic is Eddie is Eddie Murphy. He's the he's the for me, I like him more than I like Richard Pryor. He's the god. His delirious album is I tell people this all the time, they get mad at me, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. If you think about 1983 when he released Delirious, here's a black kid, 19 years old, in Washington, DC, telling the funniest, raunchiest, craziest jokes. To an, to an audience of 95% white people, and they all laugh their behinds off because they could all relate to the jokes. Right. Who hasn't had an Aunt Bunny in their house? Mm -hmm. Who mm -hmm. hasn't chased behind the ice cream truck? Mm -hmm. Right? So I don't, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't hope I get to do what Eddie Murphy does. I hope to be able to produce a 30 minute to an hour special of my craziness 
where people see I'm just sharing a bit of who I am with the world. And if I only do one, if I just mm -hmm. do one, mm -hmm. I've accomplished so much because at the end of the day, I listen, the room can be 100, 100 people packed, right? Mm -hmm. If 25 people are laughing, I've succeeded. Right. If 20 if 25 people are laughing, I've succeeded. Not everybody's going to get the joke. When you're walking around and you're writing, everything's a joke. Everything. I um went to um Miami and I said, apparently nobody in Miami can drive. The first two billboards are if you're injured from a car accident, give us a call. Uh if 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 you don't know what's going if you're in a car accident, give us a call. I don't know who Jesse Suarez is, but him and I are about to be best friends because can't nobody in Miami drive. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've I've seen a four-way stop, I've never seen an eight-way stop. North, northwest, northeast, south, southwest. Like I've never seen anything like that. And four of the directions are in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. That's how car accidents happen. Well, I, I, I've been to Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, but I must confess, uh, the scariest drivers to me were, I don't know whether you've ever been there, were in San Juan, Puerto Rico. It was the very first time I wish I had gotten a, a, a car rental insurance. <laughs> Normally, you know how it is. You just use your own insurance. But I went to St. Juan, Puerto Rico, and I'm like, like, every time I'm out on the street, I'm hoping I don't get in an accident just because of the way they drive. So. Well, the other part of that is, and we'll talk when we see each other in person. You know, some of us, if you don't say Richard Pryor is the top of the heat, you're going to have some issues. And some of us think that most of them copycat Richard Pryor, including Eddie. But they that's all, another. Oh, go ahead. Uh -huh. They all do. But here's here's the, here's the reason why. Like, one of my favorites is actually uh, Corey Holcomb. Oh, yeah, one know. of my favorite and Dion Cole. So I didn't mention everyone. I oh yeah, Dion Cole. Uh -huh. I love them because their convers their, their their comedy styles are more like conversationalist. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. you even listen, and that's what that's what Richard Pryor offered. He offered the conversation. Right. He had characters and everything, but if you listen to him, he's giving you a conversation of his life, of situations that he's in. You know, like, mm -hmm. hey, did you hear this joke? What? He lights a match and he goes, here's Richard Pryor running down the hall. Like, you know, right, like, right, he, right, he right, right. himself. Again, right. he knew to laugh at himself. And if you could laugh at yourself, you're ahead of the game. So knowing that, it's, you know that it starts with Eddie, with, with Richard Pryor. I watch Richard Pryor stand-up specials and stuff like that, and I laugh. But Eddie Murphy's delirious for me just constantly makes me laugh every time it comes. Because, again, you could put that on in any audience and people will laugh. Even a good Christian man like you would laugh at Eddie Murphy delirious. <laughs> and I do laugh at them all. Uh, and by the way, uh, I have to put Chris Rock in there also because what I like about him He's dealing with some serious subject, and it's, it's deep, too, if you really pay attention to him, and he's painting them in a comic light, and besides that, I met him once, and he's one of the uh, nicest people I ever met, and it was genuine, too. So we, uh, I know you got to go off somewhere and and do some comedy shows tonight. Uh, I hate uh, rushing through your comic career, because I had a lot of other things to ask. I don't have to go there. If you got more questions, I can keep <laughs> Okay. Well, well, yeah. So tell me, I know you uh, uh, uh been in Miami. Yes. Yeah. And tell me about what's going on in Miami, and are you going to be performing on stage? Are you going to be MCing? I'm hosting. Or? 
I'm hosting the show at the Joint of Miami. Uh, a friend of mine had a place up in here. His name is New Jersey Weed Man. He went down to Miami, opened up a spot down there. Again, I've got to thank that young lady from Florida for so much because if I didn't meet her, if I didn't run into her and go visit her, I would have never thought of asking him to do shows down there. I did. He said, I'll do you one better. I'll let you host it. So he flies me down there twice a month, and I host a show every other Sunday. So I just came back this week. I'm going back next week. And it's called, you know, it's Mr. Direct's Real Talk Comedy. All right. So now here's my suggestion. Uh, this young lady that was so influential in your life and you had a falling out, call her up and, and not going to happen. Not going well, to happen. You, make it happen. You, you what I'm going to do, uh-huh. what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut out the section that I said about her. Oh, okay. and I'm just going to send that to her, and I'm just going to say, thank "Okay, you. good, good, good. Okay, good. that's uh, it. Okay, okay. Again, it, and and that's the main reason why it, it bothers me that her and I don't speak is because you need people like that in your life. Right, right, right. You need people in your life that speak life into you, and you need people in your life that they inspire. Like, oh, listen, first of all, I'm grateful for all my friends. Every single last one, top to bottom, that has supported me and helped me to where I'm at. This young lady gave me a different perspective to look at things. And I learned so much just from being in her presence and hearing her talk. And so much about her talking about how she built her business, the things she had to do, the stuff she had to overcome. And honestly, that's the first time in my life someone has given that to me. Right, right. Do you see yourself ever coming to Minneapolis, just touring to the other parts? Of I'm the working country? on that. What I'm what I'm okay. trying to do is get myself to a point where I have some sponsors. I'm trying to get some national sponsors okay. so that my bills are paid so I can jump in my car or I can get a sponsor with a car and I can yeah. drive and I can drive around and do stuff. I'm not yeah. I'm not at headliner status. Could I could do 40 minutes easily. Mm-hmm. I'm not at I'm not at headliner status where people are going to want and come and see me, mm-hmm. but I'm at the point where I can advertise that I'm doing shows and I know people like I know people in many, a couple of my friends have already asked, when am I coming to Minneapolis to do a show? Okay. Uh, you, you know, Boy, Shed G, correct? Oh yeah. I know Shed G. Okay. Uh, Shed G uh, used to do a show there and he told me when I come back, I could jump on a stage. I just haven't gotten there yet. And he's not mm-hmm. there anymore. He's in Texas. But I've made some connections with some people there. So one of the things I'm going to do when I come back is uh, two months ahead of time, I'm actually going to plan, look for a venue and plan a comedy show. Okay. And last time I saw Shed G, he was part of a comedy show. I think it was two or three other yes. uh, comics with, with him. Uh, so you mentioned where you plan on going. Where would you like to go uh, in the field of Public comedy speaker comedy. comedy. Okay. I don't want to okay. act. I want to be a public speaker by day and I want to be a comic at night. I want to continue to hit bars. I want to continue to hit venues and I want to make people laugh at nighttime. We need, we need people that just, it's great when like a lot of times people don't understand it. When you see a comic become or a comedian become an actor, they've always wanted to act. Right. They like doing comedy, but acting pays big bucks. Mm -hmm. You do a good movie you make 10 million, you do another good movie, you make 20 million. Before you know it, you're making, you know, 15, 20 million consistently over 10 years for 10 projects. Again, you could stack chips quickly, but those people always aspired, like Kevin Hart, great comic. 
-hmm. great comedian, but he always aspired to be, and you could tell by his entrepreneurial spirit, he really doesn't just want to do comic. He's doing it more so because it's, he knows when he goes out, he's going to make 50, $60 million. Mm -hmm. So for him, it's about stacking chips. Right. right for right. me, the money's great. I'll be happy if, listen, I don't want to put a cap and jinx myself. Mm -hmm. My dream is to make enough money, public speaking by day, comedy at night, where my bills are paid, I'm happy. And at the end of the day, when somebody, it, when God calls me home, my friends will all tell crazy sto stories. And my one friend that loves me to death will say, you know what? He talked a lot of shit. Right. So when you were telling that story about your career and progressing through your career, and I'm going to say this, and we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to take, take a cheap shot here. Uh, you, ah! say, <laughs> you say, I'm going to make $20 million and then I, and I thought you were going to say, then I'm going to go up on stage and start slapping people around. That was a cheap one. Uh, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. Marklin, this has been great because uh, you bring to bear all the things uh, that I want to share with our audience. And what I tell everyone, uh, most of the time when I'm sitting here, uh, I'm thinking about all the young people out there who think they can't succeed, who's being fed all the reasons they can't succeed. And I just think about some things and messages uh, that we can leave with them. I mean, uh, you're uh, tackling uh, writing and not really at first thinking you were going to do that and all the things you overcome and your relationship uh, with your mom and dad and how they influence your life. And I'm assuming somewhere, even though we haven't talked about that, it's the choices you made, the discipline you had, uh, how you uh, it's, go ahead. Uh, so let's 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 leave, leave that audience with a message, if you don't mind. Here's first of all, you have to believe in what you want to do. A lot of people want to do something and they don't believe it. I don't care how big or how small it is. They don't believe in what they want to do. I started doing podcasting. Podcasting wasn't enough. It wasn't fulfilling. Somebody convinced me to go on stage. I went on stage. I did it. I got a little nervous and I said, okay, you got to put the work in to do it. I had to be aware. Like the one lesson I could tell people is be aware of your situation. A lot of people are not aware of their situations. Um, today, I went out to go practice doing an uh, individual podcast. I'm working on something where I could do it remotely. And I ran into a guy. He asked me what I was doing. Turns out he owns a couple of restaurants and he wants me to do comedy at, at his place. Mm -hmm. You got to put yourself in the element and in the mind frame of saying, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do. It's not going to be easy because sometimes the biggest, the biggest scare is that you're not going to like, listen, I'm on unemployment. My unemployment's going to wear out in like up two months. And I'm going to be factual with you guys out there. Only work I'm looking to do is production work. If it ain't production work, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because at least in production work, I'm still feeding my mind of creativity. I'm still using the creativity that God puts in my head to do it. I get flown down to Miami. I said I wanted to be a national uh, comic. I get flown down to Miami twice a month. I thank my lucky stars that I have this. I contacted a friend yesterday. Uh, you know, the verses, the verses, uh, you know, when they did the uh, this this group versus this group. Uh, help me out, studio. 
it's it's the versus yeah, battle. Yeah we, yeah, we know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Studio uh, is telling me, my tech the, guy here is telling me I know what he's The production what company about. that I was working for, uh -huh. he said that they're possibly taking it over. If they take it over, I've got a job for six months. I put myself in these situations where I have opportunities. And I'm going to find out quickly on the verses, which I'm going to be honest with you. If it happens, I'm still going to figure out how to do all these comedy shows remotely. But what I'm going to do is go out to California and work the six months. Why? Why am I going to do that? Why am I going to do that? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no matter which way you think about it, no matter what you got to do, you have to be willing to take a chance on yourself. Every successful person out there took a chance on themselves. And if you fail, you didn't fail, you learned. Every failure is an opportunity to learn. What did you do wrong? What can you modify? What can you change? That's why comedy is such a hard thing because somebody goes out and they're like, I know I'm funny. I'm the funniest guy here. And they hear crickets. Ah, mm -hmm. oh, I can't do it anymore. Let me tell you, go to an open mic. And I'm pretty sure Lacey knows this because he's not funny. He heard crickets. He's telling jokes and he heard crickets. Oh, 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 oh. That's, that's an assumption there that you're making, Mark. But, uh, <laughs> but you, see, you see what I'm saying? Right, right, right. You have to get, it's, it, and it's funny. It's This is another analogy I, I use in life. When you pursue what you want, it's like going to an open mic as a comic. Get used to the crickets. Because the crickets are the only thing that's constant. Because when you're in a room full of comics that have heard every joke, mm -hmm. you're not going up to make those comics laugh. You're going up for the repetitions of hearing yourself tell the joke. You're going up for the repetition of saying, I've said this joke 20 ways, 20 times this way. It don't work. I'll try it this way. It works. Right. Right. So here's the thing. When you come to Minnesota, I'm going to tell you the joke that I told that night, and you're going to take a back. <laughs> you're going to take back the assumption that I heard crickets. I got a standing ovation. It might not have been a standing ovation. So two, anyway. Two people don't count a standing ovation. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we really appreciate uh, you being our guest tonight, and uh, we think you represent uh, what we're trying to share with our audience achievers who are achieving things in different fields in all fields of human and uh, endeavor and we really appreciate the example that you're setting get the uh, book hell yeah get the book get the uh, book. both books yeah both books and i have my copy here and i'm gonna give you book reviews by the way uh after i read i'm gonna shoot you a, a, a quick uh email about uh, uh how much i enjoyed them uh, but once again, we thank you for uh, being on our show. I look forward to bringing you back. I look forward to hearing you live on stage. In the by the way, in the meantime, are there any videos of you out there that I could go check out and you could send me a link to? Uh, Man, I'm not sending you no links to none of my performances. What's the matter with you? I'm saving my material for me. I'm not going to have <laughs> you telling my jokes. <laughs> well, I told you in the beginning that that problem was a one-time occurrence. I'm not, and I I got that out of the I, well. That was on my bucket list, and I got that out of the way. Now it's on to write my uh, epic poem, 
uh, 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 before I get out of here. So once again, uh, Markland, you have been uh, wonderful. Thanks for sharing uh, your life uh, story with us, uh, your achievement with us, and we wish you the best. And we'll stay in touch because I do want to witness uh, some of your performance, whether it's live here or on the internet. So, oh, I plan on much. getting. I plan on getting back to Minneapolis. Um, uh, once I get a few things in order, where what I'm working on is being independent, where I never have to rely going into an office again. Right. Even if I have to sacrifice doing a production job where I am in an office, mm -hmm. if I'm able to save up, well, I will save up enough money and get myself back into the loop of doing things the way I'm supposed to. Right. right. I'll easily be able to jump back into the game and do what I got to do. Like, I, I always tell people this. You know what the retirement plan is? There isn't one. I plan on talking shit till the day I die. Right, right. Well, I never had one either. Uh, and I don't the retirement to me, retirement is kind of like coasting to the finish line, but that's just my personal uh, uh, way of looking at it. And I don't want to coast to the finish line. I want to, uh, I probably want to just fall out on the drop dead on the track, going full speed. So, to use an analogy. So, thank you very much once again. Uh, let's keep in touch, uh, and I'm quite sure we got some mutual friends here that we we're, we're going to stay in touch. So, thank you for everything. I hope you make your performance if that's what you just decide to do and. Is it in New York City, by the way? Uh, it's about 40 minutes from here, but it's not in uh, New York City. It's around okay. here. Okay, okay. And there are some good, famous uh, comedy clubs in New York. It's Caroline's and Rodden the Danger Fields and all. Have you ever played at – yeah, I'm going on here. I'm trying to get you off of here. Have you ever played at any of those clubs? By the way? I actually performed at Broadway Comedy Club. That's where oh, yeah, I – yeah, you mentioned that. Yep, yep, I yep, performed yep. there. I performed at Greenwich Village Country. I, Greenwich Village was actually a great experience because I uh, went to go support a friend – one of the guys didn't show up. The guy threw me on stage because he knew I could do seven minutes, and I actually killed. I actually wow. killed. Like, they weren't ready for me, but I had them laughing, and people were – the guy looked at me, and he was like, okay. You know, sometimes sometimes you just get that moment, and you're like, I'm just going to rock out and see what I could do. And that's what I love about comedy. If you really get good at it, mm -hmm. you can – if somebody knows your talent level – Mm -hmm. You could go. I want to get to the my ultimate achievement is I can walk into any comedy club. They recognize me and they're like, yo, you want to do 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. That's that's the ultimate. Right, in right, right, right. It, everyone could go out and become the next Kevin Hart. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if, if, if somebody asked Kevin Hart to go up on stage and he doesn't do well, then you're disappointed. Right. The funniest comics are not the guys you see being pushed. Right. It's the guys that like Shed G. These guys are out every night telling mm -hmm. jokes and giving you everything. These guys are the guys that are funny. So if you ever perform in New York again, New York City, let me know. I've been looking for an excuse to visit that city again. And I might just show up and uh, check you out. Thanks again, Marklin. You have a great evening. Uh, we'll stay in touch, and uh, I'll see you when you get to Minneapolis, or you'll see me when I get to New York City. Uh, thank our audience once again. Uh, bright lights, uh, where we talk about achievers and achievement. LaceyJohnson.com. Go out and, and uh, subscribe, uh, like the podcast, click the bell for notification, and support the podcast. Go to our online store. And uh, we have a special guest next week that we, we'll be bringing to you. So tune in again next week. Uh, hey, 
I'm out of here, Marklin. Hope to see you soon. Thanks.